Well, good morning, church. My name is Laurel Guy. I'm one of the ministers here, and I am so thrilled to kick off our new series, Road Trips. Throughout this series, we're going to be exploring stories of travel in the Bible. And there are a lot of these stories in Scripture, by the way. Uh, In fact, when our preaching team was brainstorming what travel stories from the Bible we should consider talking about, the list of possibilities we came up with was way longer than we could ever possibly include. And that is because God is a God of road trips, of journeys, of adventures, because God is a master storyteller. I don't know about you all, but I love a good story, always have. I come from a line of librarians and writers, and my mother, who is an author, a storyteller by profession, so I was taught the power of a good story from a very young age. It doesn't really matter what genre it is, comedy, drama, action, suspense, sci-fi, romance, or what medium is being used to tell it, whether it's a book, a TV show, a movie, a musical, or even a ballet. Nor does it matter if the story was primarily written for children. I could go home and crack open the Chronicles of Narnia today and be just as entertained as an eight-year-old reading it for the first time. If the writing and the storytelling are good, I'm in. I'm hooked because I love a good story. And a good story involves some kind of journey. It may be a metaphorical journey that deepens character development, if not an actual physical journey. But there's a journey in there somewhere, if not a full-blown adventure. A road trip, if you will. And there are moments on these journeys that are unexpected. There are moments that are really scary, moments of loss or despair, and moments that are hoped for the entire time. The road trips that we're going to explore this summer involve all of these things and more. But there are three things that are consistent in every single one. And all of these things are what make God such a master storyteller. The first is that God writes stories in history. The stories of travel that we're going to explore this summer are all true stories, which gives them a special kind of weight. The second is that God can weave anything into a good story for our good and God's glory. No matter who or what we encounter on the road, or how many unexpected turns it takes, if we get to see the most glorious sunset on the way, or if we get stuck in the mud somewhere, if we find ourselves jumping into the bluest ocean, or if we fall into the darkest pit, or even if we take a wrong turn and get lost for a little while, God can and will use all of that to tell a really good story, if we're willing. The last is that God has written God's self into the story. 
The playwright has entered the play. And not only that, but God has also committed God's self to remaining in our story with us through every step of our journey. This illustrates a very core reality about who God is, which is that God is a God who is devoted to being with God's people, which means we don't go on road trips without God going on the road with us. This has been true from the very beginning. God has always sought relationship with us, and not because God needs us, but simply because God loves us. That is the foundation of the greatest story ever told. And that commitment to being in relationship with us has consistently resulted in God also committing to being on the move with us. From the garden, to the tabernacle, to the temple, to the incarnation, to the cross, to the resurrection, to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because God is with us wherever we go. One chapter of the story that illustrates this especially well is the story of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is something that we find in the Old Testament, particularly in the books of Exodus and Numbers. It's kind of an odd-sounding word. It's not a common term in our modern language, but in the original language, tabernacle literally means dwelling place, a place where one dwells a kind of home base. And in the Bible, the tabernacle is particularly the place where God chose to dwell. Throughout much of the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, are wandering in the wilderness. They are on a journey, a road trip. They had endured 400 years of harsh slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And then God heard their cries and rescued them from their oppression, bringing them out of Egypt and into the wilderness under the leadership of God's servant, Moses. God promised to lead them through the wilderness to the land that God said God would give to them, a land that is described in scripture as flowing with milk and honey. But As time went on and they continued to travel through the desert, they grew more and more uncertain of whether God would keep God's promise to them. And they were consistently afraid that they were going to die out in the wilderness. So much so that they asked Moses why he brought them out of Egypt in the first place. Because although their enslavement to the Egyptians was horrible, arguably the most degrading human experience one can have. At least it was familiar. The wilderness, the unknown, was not. And so they were afraid of the journey ahead of them. In Exodus 25, God meets with Moses and says to him, Have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. In accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Now, I want to make sure you caught that. 
God didn't ask the Israelites to make God a sanctuary for God's sake or because God needed it. God asks them to make God a sanctuary so that God could dwell among them, so that God could draw near to them and be with them. And one of the most important things about this sanctuary that God asked the Israelites to make was, and there are a lot of interesting details in scripture about the tabernacle. We know how long it was, how wide it was, what it was made of, what was in it, what was outside of it, and much more. But most importantly, we know it was portable. It was a tent. I think often when we contemplate Old Testament sanctuaries, the first thing that comes to our minds is the temple, the huge ornate stone temple that David planned and Solomon built. But the temple was actually plan B. In fact, in 2 Samuel 7, when David expresses a desire to build God the temple, God pretty much says, I don't need a temple. I have a tent so that I can move with my people as I have always done. I especially like how author Dallas Willard puts it. He said, incredibly, to fulfill his intention to be known by dwelling in his people, God chose to occupy a tent, a tent for decades of grubby desert camping. God asked the Israelites to make God a tent. A very nice tent, but a tent because tents are portable. That's the point of a tent. So as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness, God could be near to them and lead them to the land that God promised them. God leaves God's home, moves in with God's people, and then moves with them over and over and over again. Numbers 9, 15 through 18 says that on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud, which was God's presence, covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night, it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. And at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Can you imagine how comforting it would be if... Whenever you felt lost or scared or alone, you could just look up and know that God is there. Like, if you could see God's presence with your own eyes and know that even if you don't know where you're going, God does, and God is obviously with you, so you're fine. The Israelites were afraid as they journeyed through the wilderness, and understandably so. The wilderness was an unknown, harsh, dry land, a wild desert. 
deserts are not known for having much to offer in terms of basic resources. Throughout Exodus, the Israelites were lost. They were thirsty, they were hungry, they were scared, and all in all, pretty helpless. Thus, their only choices were to depend on God or go back to Egypt. And as you read the stories of the wilderness wanderings, God is incredibly faithful, providing for the Israelites' needs every step of the way. But I love the fact that God did more than provide. God remained with them in a way that they could see. A cloud hovering over the tabernacle by day, a pillar of fire by night, leading them to the promised land one step at a time. They needed to know that God was with them. And because God loved them so much, God moved in with them and moved with them wherever they went. Which, can we just pause and acknowledge that moving is gross? Like, all aspects of it. The packing, the heavy lifting, the sweating, the cleaning, the traveling, the unpacking. Not to mention the whole leaving the people you love thing. It's awful. Like, if you want to know who really loves you, it's the people who show up to help you move. Because, to be completely honest, I would rather do just about literally anything else. And that includes things like going to the DMV, filing taxes, having my teeth cleaned, throwing up. All things I also really do not enjoy. So if I show up to help you move, it is a sign that I love you deeply because gross. But more than being icky, moving can be really scary. Committing to live somewhere you've never lived before, where you don't know anyone, aren't familiar with the geography, and when you can't know for sure whether you will ever feel at home can be terrifying. When Sam and I were preparing for our move to Johnson City um, from Ashland, Kentucky, I remember being absolutely filled with dread. I've never lived this far away from my family before, and as I'm naturally very introverted, shy, and cautious, building a new community for myself takes a lot of time, which is why I will never forget how our friends Brian and Carly helped my husband Sam and I move. They not only helped us pack up our house in Ashland and load up our U-Haul, they made the four-hour trip to Johnson City with us. As we drove on the interstate, I could see Sam driving the U-Haul ahead of me, and I could look in the rearview mirror and see Brian and Carly in the two cars behind me. There was a huge comfort in their presence, a reassurance that Sam and I weren't alone. As we arrived, they then moved us into our new home. Carly set up our kitchen exactly as it was in our old house while Brian and Sam put together our bed. They didn't leave that night until our art and photos were up on the walls, which, in case you're new to moving, is the very last thing you do. 
Brian then looked around at our hard work, gave a satisfactory nod, looked back at us and said, you will be happy here. And he was right. We are. But when we were making our journey here, I didn't know that. All I knew was that we were leaving home behind for the unknown ahead on a road trip I didn't really want to go on. So, Brian and Carly, out of love for us, made that journey with us, walking with us as far as they could go on a journey that wasn't theirs. Similarly, God, out of love for the Israelites, moved with them over and over again for 40 years. And God did so in a way that they could see, so that when they were afraid, and no matter what they encountered on their journey, they could look above the tabernacle and see the cloud of God's presence going before them by day and a pillar of fire lighting the way by night. God was with them everywhere they went, which meant that everywhere they went was a place of refuge, and everywhere they went was a place of worship because God was with them. God was with them wherever they went. When they traveled through the Red Sea, God was with them. When they were hungry and thirsty, God was with them. When they were attacked, God was with them. And when they finally reached the promised land, God was with them. This journey was terrifying. But the fact that God was with them also changed that journey. Because after they reached the promised land, this story the story of the exodus from Egypt and the wilderness wanderings became the story that God's people looked to as proof of God's love and faithfulness. And God makes this same promise, this tabernacle promise to us as well. And it's even more intimate. In Matthew 28, the resurrected Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples before the ascension. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus tells them to go. And at the same time, Jesus tells them that he will be with them wherever they go. Always. And I think that sometimes we just hear that first part, the go part. And we forget about the other half we forget that Jesus not only tells us to go, he tells us that he will be with us wherever we go. But that part is so essential that one of the names for Jesus, Emmanuel, means exactly that, God with us. Because that is a consistent part of 
who God is. God is with us wherever we go. And God will call us on many road trips in our lifetimes. Those road trips may be ones that we've been praying to go on for a really long time. Or they might be ones that we didn't really want to go on. Some short, some long, and lots of things may happen along the way. Good, bad, dangerous, painful, boring, joyful things. But one thing is constant. And that is that no matter what we encounter on our road trips, we are never alone. Because Jesus promised, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The risen Lord never takes his eyes off of us, not for a second. We're all on some kind of journey right now, even if we aren't literally traveling anytime soon. And maybe you're wondering if God is with you on your journey. Maybe you're in a place along the way that you never wanted to be. Maybe that you specifically prayed against. Maybe you are deep in the woods, surrounded by fog, darkness, and the unfamiliar. Maybe you can barely see your own hand in front of you, much less the road ahead, and you have no idea how you will get out, and you're not even sure you want to move because something happened here, and you're not sure how you're supposed to keep putting one foot in front of the other right now. And you're wondering, how could God possibly be with me on a journey like this? Maybe you lost your job and you have no idea what's next because that was not part of your plan. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety and you just can't seem to find hope or happiness anymore or you can't get your heart to stop constantly pounding out of your chest as you wait for the other shoe to drop. Maybe you trusted someone that wasn't worthy of your trust and now you feel betrayed and alone. Or maybe you lost a loved one perhaps even without warning. Someone who was supposed to walk this journey with you, and now you're not sure how you're supposed to go on without them. There are moments on our journeys when our stories are dark and we cannot see. We may wonder where God is and why God has allowed us to end up in our current circumstances. In the book of Ezekiel, we find the prophet Ezekiel in a place like this. When the book opens, we find him in exile in Babylon, captured by a foreign nation and driven far away from home. He was in the last place he wanted to be, hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem where the temple was, the temple that had replaced the tabernacle and housed God's presence and where Ezekiel had served as a priest. And while Ezekiel is in Babylon, hundreds of miles away from the temple, away from the place where God's presence is supposed to be, 
he has this vision that is very complicated and can be hard for us modern readers to understand, but the point is that God appeared to him in Babylon. That even though he was in exile, God was with him. Ezekiel 1, 1 through 3 says, In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. Skipping down to verse 25. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. See, I told you, a little weird, but again, the point is that the presence of God came to Ezekiel even in exile. That even when our journey takes us to the last possible place we would ever want to be, far from home or anything familiar, where maybe we've lost some things and some people we never expected to lose, and we're too scared or too hopeless to even stand up, God is still with us as God promised, as God has always been with God's people, which, although it may not always feel like it, is the best comfort we could ask for in dark places. Because since God is always moving with us, that means that everywhere we go is a place of refuge that God's got us, that God will light the way in the darkness as God did for the Israelites in the wilderness and as God does for us in our own darkness. We may not be able to see much, but we can trust the God who can see to take our hand and walk with us the whole way because God is with us wherever we go. Or maybe you're in a place on your journey that looks pretty boring, like you're driving through South Dakota in the middle of the afternoon, and although a lot of it looks nice, it also kind of looks the same, no matter how far you go. Maybe things are pretty uneventful on this part of your road trip, and you're kind of on autopilot, going through the motions of the day-to-day. -day. There's nothing new on the horizon, and your routine is, well, a uh, routine, predictable, and you're doing okay. These are also times of risk, because it is when we reach these parts of our journey, when we can shift into autopilot, that we're most likely to start viewing ourselves as the ones who are in control. 
And yeah, maybe we've taken on some extra pressure with that, but we're doing it, everything's getting done, so maybe we're better off thinking of ourselves as the ones who are in control anyway. All in all, maybe it is at these times when we are the most likely not to rely on God as much as we should. I'm reminded of Hosea 13.6, which reads, When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud and then they forgot me. We've all probably been here, thinking we're the ones who are in charge, struggling for control, often over things which we have no control. And maybe it seems to work for a little while, until it doesn't. And we again ask, is God with me on a journey like this? And the good news is that even in the midst of that, even when we aren't really relying on God the way we normally would, or even looking for God, God is still there pursuing us as we walk because God is with us wherever we go. Or maybe you've finally reached the top of a mountain that you have been climbing for a long time. You've reached the peak that offers the most beautiful view of the landscape below, and you got there just in time for the most glorious pink, purple, orange sunset that you have ever seen. Maybe you're in a place on your journey that, standing where you are, you can see how God clearly went before you and prepared you to be here. Maybe you're in a place where you're confident that Yes, God is with you on a journey like this, because how else could you have gotten here? You got the job or the promotion. You found a community where you simply belong and are wanted. Your family is growing in some form, or you found a way to serve God with your passions regularly, and you feel full of purpose and gratitude. In these moments, when God has walked with us and gone before us to bring us to the place we have wanted to be for a long time, the appropriate response is worship. In 2 Samuel 6, when David brings the Ark of the Covenant, which had resided in the tabernacle, into Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem and the Israelites celebrated in worship because the ark was a powerful symbol of God's presence with them. Verses 12 through 15 read, So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. They worshipped through song, dance, and offerings. And similarly, when we can see the evidence of God working in our lives to bless us and the people around us, we too should respond in worship because God is with us wherever we go. Church, I could do this all day. Take you to a text and show you that God is with you. Because 
God has always been committed to being with God's people. That's the story of the tabernacle. God said, build a tent for a place of worship so that you will know that I am with you and that I go with you. Jesus said to go, but to also remember that he is with us wherever we go. Which is why you can be confident that whatever journey you're on, whatever road trip you are taking this summer, God is with you. God is with you in the deep forest, lighting the way when you cannot see. God is with you on the plains where everything just looks the same. God is with you on the mountaintop as you gaze upon the glory below. God is with you on the seashore as you splash and play with your loved ones. And God is with you as you set sail for somewhere you have never been. God is with you in the desert when your hope and faith have run dry. And God is with you in the stillness and peace of the valley. God is with you in the light of the morning and in the dark of the evening, in the warmth of the summer and in the cold of the winter, in the vibrant colors of autumn and in the new life of spring. God is with you on every road you drive, every trail you hike, every lake you paddle, and every gorge you climb. God is with you on every highway, every airplane, every boat, every train, every rest stop, every overlook, every sidewalk, every park, every driveway, every bridge, every tunnel, every river, every elevator, every staircase, every cave, every island, every coffee shop, every backyard, and every living room. God is with you in solitude and in crowds, in calm, in chaos, in anxiety, in confidence, in joy, in sorrow, in sickness, in health, in life, and in death. God is with you wherever you go. Stand and let me pray for you. God, thank you for always going with us. Thank you for your promise that you will never leave us that you are with us always till the very end of the age. You are so faithful and so good and we praise you this morning. God, I ask that you would continually give us eyes to see you when it feels like you are not there and ears to hear your voice when we are lost. Give us assurance of your presence and confidence in your faithfulness. And as we journey along the road trips ahead of us this summer, I ask that you would help us to remember that you are with us wherever we go. I ask all of these things in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is alive this morning.